Welcome back to Masters of CX, a podcast by Chattermill, where we cover all things customer experience. I'm João, your host, and we're here to help companies and individuals become more customer-centric in order to win in today's volatile business world. We believe this is now the decade of CX, and our mission is simple. Bring you the most actionable insights from the world's leading CX experts and operators, so you can use CX as your new engine for growth. Today, we hear from Diane Majors, founder and chief experience officer of Experience Catalysts. Diane is an accomplished senior customer experience, sales, and marketing executive with a very diverse and exceptional skill set. Diane has worked with companies of all sizes and has over 25 years of proven ability in CX. In our conversations today, we talked for everything from how to navigate large organizations and make sure that a CX plan is carried out, the pivotal role of data and the right tools in making sure that the right CX strategy is bought in, how to design a perfect customer experience and how a background in UX and marketing act as an advantage in doing so. And finally, the correlation between great customer experience and great employee experience and how companies can enforce both. Hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Thank you, Diane, for being with us here today. We just want to, we'd just like to start off this conversation just asking about your learning process and like some recommendations that you have for us in terms of books and podcasts that you've consumed recently yeah lovely yeah i'll tell you just a quick little bit about myself so that everybody kind of knows who i'm who you're talking to and why i'm on your podcast so my name is diane majors and i have been in the customer experience space for a long time i fell into it by accident and i've been in large organizations running um, experience practices and also working with lots of organizations so i'm hoping today i can bring some perspective of this profession and how it's developed over time, but also the true benefits of what this position can bring to your career in general. So to answer your first question, there's two books that I really like. One is one that's, I wouldn't say it's a classic, but maybe unknown to a lot of people. It's called The Power of Habit by a gentleman named Duhigg, D-U-H-I-G-G. This book is about how people and companies and communities and organizations and corporations have these habits that they're in. And part of the big part of customer experience, as you can imagine, is changing an organization, changing the way they work and how they think. And so that's a really powerful book to begin to understand that process of change individually as well as to a big corporation. The second one is called Upstream, and it's written by um, a friend of mine, Dan Heath, who has written several books. What it talks about is the fact that many times organizations are fixing things all the time, and really what they need to be doing is designing things right in the first place. And the reason it's called Upstream is because if you get a call to a care center or somebody's going online for help or wants to buy a new product, where can you really begin to design that appropriately. So those are two things that I would recommend to anybody getting started. There's a little bit off the beaten path when it comes to books that are typically recommended, but I'm sure your other interviewers have given you several others. Yeah, something that we realize from these conversations is that every CX pro is like an avid reader. And this idea of reading broadly and keeping up with the trends is essential. Um, yes, it is a very fast moving profession. And that's, I learn something every day and I've been doing it a long time. So that tells you something. It's hard to keep up with the new technologies and some of the topics 
we're going to talk about today. Why are they such a challenge and, and what are the new things that we'll be facing even in the next year? Definitely. It would be great to just talk about how you got into the profession, what got you into CX and the inflection points throughout your career that allowed you to become who you are today where everyone follows you and we, we look at you for insights <laughs> like we do for the other guests that That's we have wonderful. on the show. Yeah, That's wonderful. Thank to, you. To hear. Totally by accident. It was a path of serendipity. I actually started as a clinical psychologist. I had these great plans to change the world at a time. And I did study and I was in therapy and I worked with lots of people for several years and it was a very taxing profession. And so I decided to take a break. And a friend of mine was starting a company in the basement of his house. And we sold the company a few years later with lots of employees. And so I learned all about business and it was a matter of never going back. Fast forward to getting my first job. I worked in an ad agency. I worked in a lot of different areas, consulting for a while. And then I went to work for a division of Cisco Foods, a big food distributor here in the States. And my CEO was my inspiration. He said, we're going to do everything the customers want us to do. And I need you to go out and talk to them and find out where their pain points are, what can we be doing differently and how we can really serve them better. And so this was way before customer experience was a, even the name of it uh, was there. So I worked doing surveys, paper surveys at that point. And I grew into a career where Cisco Corporate asked me to come down to their um, headquarters and be a part of their transformation effort, which was an overhaul completely of order management and their ERP system. So I learned a lot about data and processes and how to really work in an organization. UX, I was exposed to a lot of things simply because of this overhaul. Went, went got, fell into, accidentally fell into consulting when I left there. Somebody just saw me speak at a conference and asked if they could talk to me about the topic. And I said, sure. And, she, and the woman who came to me said, hey, I hear you're leaving Cisco. Would you come on and be a consultant with us to help us build this out? And I hadn't even thought about it. And so I started doing that. And then as more people found out I was available and I had this background, I started doing the same thing. So I became a coach, an advisor doing it. I did a few years at AT&T in the B2B space in the office of the customer. And that was helping in the B2B space. I've always kind of been there. When I left there, I was chairman of the board for CXPA and they asked me to step in as interim CEO. And that was for three years. It was supposed to be for six months. I was blessed to talk to hundreds of practitioners across the globe and really find out where the struggles were and where they were in their career and what was happening. So when we hired a full-time CEO last year, we'll see two years ago now, I decided to go back out on my own and try to find my next uh, piece. And, you know, I've just been blessed to have lots of folks come to me and say, I'd love for you to help me. Can you do this? I'm writing a book. So all of these things have been part of just what has been in my career path. But I will tell you that all of those things, for many of you who are out there who are getting started or in a year or two in, this is a profession that allows you to really go anywhere. What I love about it is that many people say, it, we always heard this at CXPA, I've been preparing my whole career to do this work because it is so holistic 
because you are exposed to so many parts of the organization and you learn about so many parts of the organization, which if you think about an executive, that's what they do on purpose. They rotate them around. So part of this is also recognizing that you are learning skills that will help propel you in your career. As a matter of fact, we haven't seen it happen very much, but you think about a CXO, they have visibility much like the CEO to many and all parts of the organization because it's our job to glue those pieces together. So that's what I would tell people about a career where you feel like you are pushing things up the hill every day. It's part of your learning and part of how you're going to grow as a profession in your own career, not only in CX, but just from a business acumen perspective. Yeah, definitely. And I find it fascinating how you went through so many things, so many experiences, which uh, makes me so curious to see after all those experiences, how would you define it after all that? Did it change along the mm-hmm. way? How do you see like today, what, how people should look at and practice customer experience in, in their organizations? That is, a, that is an awesome question. When I think about it, when it was starting and when anybody else is getting started, if any of you are just um, taking your first few steps, there's always this basic piece. It's getting the right information about customers. It's understanding that experience, however you do that. It's identifying where there's opportunity. What are the needs and expectations customers have? And what are you doing to solve those, right? That hasn't changed, that premise. What has changed is the techniques and the skill set and the craft that we've developed. Now there's better frameworks. Data and technology has become a competency that we've had to develop. If you think about even 10 years ago, 11 years ago when the CXPA started, and those of us doing it before even that started, it was, we didn't have a lot of the technologies. Digital wasn't a thing. We were doing a lot of online work and a lot of website work, but this whole digital piece as it's come along has just increased and accelerated what we've done. And then the, the, the other thing that I would say is probably the data has been more of a, an opportunity and a uh, challenge for most people. It's always been the long pole. Even when we started the first time I stood up Medallia in an organization, thinking about cleaning our data and getting it all in one place. That still is um, an issue, but there's so much more data now to collect about where people are interacting and the systems to collect that. It's still gluing it together. That's really been the whole issue all along. So I would say from the professional standpoint, that's where it's come. From an adoption standpoint, I think it's always been one of those things where people say it and they want to do it. And companies, some companies have been done really well at it, but many kind of say the words and then they look at a score and think that's what they're doing. And I think we have some myth busters, if you will, if you've ever seen that, there's an American TV show called Mythbusters. And it's part of, we need, really need to help the organization understand it's not about just collecting information and scores. It's about changing the way the organization works, how they think, how they make decisions, where they begin and the skills that they have in order to really understand humans, neuroscience, anthropology, sociology has all come into play now because organizations are realizing they need to have this more human-centric approach for them, customers and their employees as well. So those are some of the things that I've seen change in over time. Some are still basics, right? There's, that's the great thing. This still is a profession, still has frameworks, but the way the world is accelerating has changed that. I think COVID has changed that as well, that 
companies, we've been standing all the time, standing on the mountaintop, kind of shouting out, this needs to happen. And now organizations are realizing that customer needs are shifting. And if they didn't have their finger on the pulse before, it's something they really need to do in a very detailed, critical, if you're not going to survive, if you're not listening, reacting and filling those needs and expectations in a new way over time. So that's, we've had got a steady eddy kind of thing, but then we have all of these things that have now influenced what we do and how our profession um, is moving along. That is a fantastic answer. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you mentioned some very interesting things that I'd love to dive into. So particularly your background in psychology and your background with uh, UX and everything. You talked about how yeah, a big challenge of uh, customer experience nowadays is actually spreading this across the organization and cementing uh, a consistent view around how, how, your, how one's focus for the customer is internally, how you measure it and how you go about prioritizing the roadmap and whatnot. So yes. yeah, it'd be great to just talk. Let's dive into maybe the UX and design thinking elements that you've employed sure. in your career. And from there, we sure. can talk about psychology and empathy and how that makes you a better professional. Awesome. Yeah. I think stories are always great. When I was at, at Cisco, the leader of the technology, because it was very technology-driven transformation, and I agreed that there had always been this rub between business and IT. It was throw it over the fence and they're going to build it and then throw it back over. And what happened naturally is we really made a pact to show up together and, and be a consolidated front to how this transformation was going to work was having UX really report under me. Not They didn't report to me, but we worked with the UX team in order for them to be a part of the transformation. What I mean by that is typically UX folks really didn't have the ability back then, this is a few years ago, have the skill set to understand the customer needs, to really identify that, to truly design what that experience is going to be like. They were coding and they were doing the requirements and, and that was great. But part of what we wanted to do and what they wanted to do was be a part of understanding the customers, doing the ethnographic research, doing observation, being a part of the research, really understanding what how they were using the system today and what they needed to from, from us in the future. And so by teaching them that craft, we started to develop much better products. We built things that were more intuitive for people that really met their need. So it was part of shifting in the organization, understanding how do we get people to truly make that mind shift and we call this the culture shift in the organization. And so we did that with a lot of, of different teams. We did the same thing with sales, for example, in the, the salespeople, we had them go sit in the call center for a day and we had the call center people go out on a, a ride with the, the salesperson so they could get a perspective of what was happening all across that journey. And so the, the way that design thinking came into be was AT&T, we were in a transformation effort for talent. And part of that talent, we wanted to begin to build design thinking. So we used IDEO methodology and Luma methodology. And we had short stints of workshops like lunch and learns. We had a customers and coffee where people could come in and learn a quick technique on Monday morning when we had bagels and, and coffee waiting, waiting for them. And we taught the techniques and it had nothing to do with the project. It was just an opportunity for people to learn these particular skill sets and tools and the toolkit that we use in design thinking. And so that really had a huge impact on people saying, 
I'm learning something new that I can use in my role. And I feel like I'm contributing and understand when we design experiences, what that means. So those are a couple of examples and stories that I think are really helpful for people to say, it doesn't have to be something where you're pounding people over the head with guiding principles. And those are important, but it's engaging them in learning and being a part of the solution that I think really works well. Definitely. And uh, that's so awesome. It makes me think in terms of the challenges of doing so, right? That a lot of companies I think encounter is how do you uh, get key stakeholders to buy in? And I think it connects interestingly to the point of empathy. Do you think it was like the skill sets in psychology and everything and how that highlights your ability to be empathetic and to connect to other people and understand other people's incentives and motivations? Do you think that all connects to make it easier to employ this, the, these frameworks internally? Yes, I would say that there's a, a way that I've approached it and I didn't realize it until a few years after doing it, I was doing it organically. I forgot to tell you somewhere along the way, I got my MBA as well because I needed to be able to tell the business case story. So that's important for, to answer your question. What we began to realize at, in organizations, whether I was working with them or in the organizations is, there's really two things that, that motivate people. One, yes, you have to have empathy um, to understand where they are and how they might be viewing the situation, but you also have to help them discover what it is they wanna learn and how they wanna contribute and things that they're trying to accomplish and how what you're doing fits in with that. That's where that training and education came from. People were saying, I wanna learn something new and I, technology's great, I wanna learn technology. But at t there was plenty of that education but very little on those softer skills of how do I build design thinking, for example. And so appealing to what people are really trying to accomplish and what they want in their career and their lives and what they want to learn. Everybody wants to learn. So figuring out what that is and then developing ways to deliver that, that obviously get you what you're after, but also engages in, and it helps people uh, grow themselves. The other side of that is the left brain. So that's the right brain. The other side is, is the left brain. So one of the things we did with key stakeholders is when we said, hey, we want your people to come to a half day workshop and learn some design thinking. Of course they said yes, but then it was this grousing about half day and this person's going to miss their time. All right. So when we think about customer experience, the one thing I want the audience to walk away with is we've got to tell the value story behind experience management. And what I mean by that is both tangible and intangible. I hear a lot of practitioners talk about Net Promoter and CSAT, and yes, those things are important, and yes, they correlate, and yes, promoters buy more and refer us more, but what I want them also to begin to think about is what business value you're creating. How does that impact your revenue? How does it impact costs? Because that's what your executives are talking about. And not only the executives, but also leaders. So middle management has goals and things they're trying to achieve with their team learning about those, interviewing them, finding out what's important to them, what they're incented to do and what their measures of success are, help you then walk away and say, hey, I've got a project that I think is gonna help impact what they're doing, gets you buy-in, it gets you time with their team and they're invested in the success of that project. And so that's the ability to really build um, a coalition of people who understand the big goal, but also understand it's part of how they're going to move forward as well. So making sure you're balancing, yes, it's good for the organization, but it's also good for you from your goal standpoint, but also from your 
career development standpoint, because this is a new profession and there's a lot to learn for folks who are new to it, even if they're not in the department or the team. Definitely. Uh, I completely agree. And it's also that whole issue that customer centricity and customer experience is in every team. So you really need to make it by into like from the top down, which is it's a challenge for many people. And it's really interesting. In terms of that, do you see customer experience when you sell a, a strategy of customer experience internally? Do you see that as more ROI driven or more cost effective driven? And if you wanted to balance both, how would you suggest young professionals or customer experience managers internally? How do you suggest they, they go about pitching uh, new initiatives internally? I think the ability to actually define that business case. So I'm always a little surprised when people say, hey, I went to get this project funded. And I say, what did you tell them they were going to get for it? Because <laughs> nobody's going to give you money unless you can tell them what the ROI is. And for them to say things like, it's going to improve our CSAT and it's going to improve net promoter. That's great. But those are outcomes, longer term indicators uh, of what's happening. It doesn't tell you the true story. I've seen companies with very high net promoter score who are leaking revenue all over the place. So it doesn't tell the entire story. What I want you to think about is there was a great radio show on in the States a long time ago called Paul Harvey. And Paul Harvey's tagline was the rest of the story. What I want professionals to really think about is you can tell the metric story about the outcomes and they correlate to better advocacy and all those pieces. But I want you to tell the other side of the story of if promoters are two things, if promoters are advocating for us, we have a lower cost of acquisition. We have more time for the sales team on the street. Those people who are referred stay longer and buy more than people will be got through marketing. So look for those stories you can tell that are financially driven. The other half of that is if you're going to go do a project, you need to be looking at all the levers you're going to pull and how those tie to financials. So in one organization, we overhauled their RFP process, right? So RFPs they get from customers, they put the RFP together and send it back out. Their win-loss ratio was going down, which was obviously a huge impact to revenue <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. But what we also found is that those RFPs were taking so much of people's time internally in the organization. And so the productivity was bad. It was taking up a lot of the salesperson's time. And so when we overhauled that and changed the way that they did those RFPs, a great knowledge management system, we automated it, we we assigned somebody to that role who could gather it and let the salesperson continue to sell. We began to tie all the business benefits, productivity for the HR person, sales manager loved us because we got his salespeople back on the street. When loss ratio went up and the dollars tied to that, the IT systems, we reduced the knowledge management systems. They had three or four, right? Doesn't make any sense, but we reduced those to one so we could keep all the information together. So cost of ownership reduced. It's looking at your projects themselves and identifying the financial levers you're pulling to go and say, if we do this project, here's all the financial benefits we're going to get. And we're probably going to increase length of them, their stay, net promoter score of how did the sales process go, customer satisfaction with how easy it was. Those are great. But the financial story we told alongside that was the other thing. So they're twins that need to go together. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's where Absolutely. I think we're falling short in our profession. Interesting. Yeah, I think I see that I see that changing though, which is interesting with all the technology being yes. introduced in the market. And absolutely, like us and Chatter Mill, our focus is to bring a balance to both as well. 
So yeah, it's fascinating. Thank you. Thank you so much for the insights there. Yeah, now it'd be great to just hear more about how you see CX changing. Uh, we talked about where, like how you developed your view around customer experience. And it'll be interesting to see now in 2021, like everything, like the future is only two months away now. Everything is changing so fast, so intensely. It'd be great to hear more about like how you see things changing in 2021. And in five years time, where do you see CX going? What do you think will matter in the next few years? There's several things I guess I can share and just for a little bit thinking about what's coming in as I've looked at the trajectory of where things have been, you know, what we need to be thinking about going forward. And there's, there's three or four things that I want to share and we can dive into whatever you want to. But one of those is I began to call it experience management because I think that the experience that we're talking about and how we as professionals are thinking about customer experience, it's also about employee and it's about partner. And in some instances, brands are starting to have to work together. So now you have an experience that's being created for the human, right? Regardless of what brand they're, they're with. So I think that experience management approach widens our lens to really understand and care for like employee experience. I see a lot of times people are doing, they're talking about discretionary effort. You know, they're talking about an ENPS score. What I, the way I see it is employees are customers of the brands as well, and we might as well treat them that way and have the same feedback and same measures and same projects against what they're doing as well. I also believe that executives now, marketing, CIOs, CDOs, anybody in the C-suite <laughs> wants to be able to understand and, and be, has begun to really see the change and the potential of this discipline in their own profession. So I believe that it will be adopted in various ways. And part of what I think you'll start to see is that many more C-suite leaders in those different arenas will be carrying the torch, much like we've had to over time. So we've been the glue between all of the silos. Now we have a lot of C-suite executives who are saying, for what I'm doing, how does that work for me? So they're engaged and involved. Whereas before it was yes, and they're nodding and great, we'll get our scores. And I don't think they understood the depth and intensity. So when you start to look at the entire ecosystem of your organization, you, instead of looking at the silos, you have to look top to bottom too, like frontline to executives, to infrastructure, to data, workflows, process. It's become much more holistic. So that's a big challenge, but, but it's there. Next point I'll say is that, and I say this tongue in cheek, so don't take this quote out of context. I feel like our role is to work ourselves out of a job. I feel like that if we are doing our role, that this becomes embedded in the way the organization works. And we're simply looking for that next thing and going on to what's innovative and how do we continue to build and, and get past that. I think that's important because the ability for somebody to take the results of a survey or get the feedback from social and be able to develop the right insights, design the right experience and move that forward and measure it appropriately should belong to everybody in the organization. Right? Everybody should have that skill set. So it's really embedding now this skill set to be a part of how everybody works and breathes. That's, that would be the nirvana for, for us to do that. And I think you know, we'll, we'll start to see more of this really shifting to the bigger scope. I think sometimes CX professionals put themselves in a box as 
I'm the person that goes and gets the information and I launch the projects and, and we sit on that train. You know, I talk at the, the factory, if you will. And, and I think we're going to get much more pro, uh, proactive about what we do so that we can start designing experiences before they get out the door. So I, I see that shift. That's typically within an organization, but just overall, people are beginning to realize that the crafts we have in experience management are broad and they all need to be brought together. Yeah. UX Definitely. design, CX. Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Like customer experience, it, it, it is a multidisciplinary, not only role, right, within an organization, but the, the practice itself of the company is very multidisciplinary and something that requires yes. many different moving pieces working in unison. That makes it <laughs> incredibly challenging, but incredibly like interesting for us that work in the space. Yes. That's what keeps us going every day. Absolutely. Like here you mentioned like this, the idea of employee experience, like being almost like a, a prerequisite for good customer experience. So making sure that your employees are not only content, but what they value and you're making sure that you're getting closer to giving that to them every day uh, that they work. Like you said, everyone wants to learn. So I just wanted to ask uh, more about that and dive deeper into that because I, I generally think it's a topic that we need more information around. How do you think yeah. being a customer experience professional could translate to leadership in companies to make sure that their employees are happy so that they can make, as a consequence, their customers happy as well? Yeah, I think there absolutely is a correlation and there's a great um, article that just came out from SMG on the employee experience and customer experience collaboration. So I think that if, if you want to look at something that's really recent, I think it just came out yesterday. So I haven't even dove into it, but I glanced through it and it's got some great uh, points to it. So a little plug there for them. Thinking about the employee experience, if an employee was truly a customer, we would be mapping their journey, understanding where the pain points were. We would be getting their input and feedback at all times and fixing things that were happening. We would be designing their experience when they come to work every day. How are they engaged and involved? What are the applications they use? What can we digitize for them that's a, a pain? I think about one organization I worked in, it took me 20 minutes to schedule a conference room. And then if I didn't confirm it 15 minutes before I was supposed to go in, it got canceled. Just those irritations that we need to remove from employees doing their work, how they're valued, how their talent is developed. So it's no different to me, the same principles, we just turn that lens we use on customers onto the employees. So if you've ever done an employee map, that's a good place to start, just like with customers, but that's a discovery. We've got to really figure out why do all of these great organizations like Starbucks have such great employees. It's because they're valued. It's because they have opportunity for growth. It's because of all those things. And talent's going to be very hard to come by. And it's going to be incredibly competitive to be in organizations that are customer-centric because we know the impact of that. So I think that's part of when we, typically when I talk to HR people, they're very curious and excited about doing it, but they need help because they've got the functional HR pieces to think about, getting people in the door and interviews and coaching, but they also want to do this. So there's a great combination to work with your HR person to talk about the disciplines that you bring to the table that they can apply to employees. And it builds, back to our point before, it builds another champion and an executive who understands why they're doing it and the business impact um, of creating great experiences. So you're 
turning those, letting those light bulbs come on, just like with anyone else. So it's also a good opportunity to build that uh, partnership. I, I often tell people I, in a couple of organizations I've worked in, I always make best friends with the HR person, um, the finance person, and the IT person, because those three people are so critical to my success in helping me tell the business case story, figuring out where the data is and how technology can help enable it. And then how do we get the people to come along? Like that story I told you about the education series, that was in partnership with our learning and development team. And so they took, they got to take a lot of the credit too, which was great because it was like, okay, then that's great. That's, we're here to be the impetus for that. So building those relationships with those other teams and leveraging them and helping them understand how they can apply, that it's not mystical and magical and fluffy, that it's got true business value is another recommendation, a strong recommendation that would make to anybody who's starting. Definitely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more that CX is not a one man or woman show. It really is a team effort. And I think that's a very interesting perspective of identifying who in the organization you need to work with and developing that relationship further. I think that's great advice for people starting in the space that are not doing that yet, because again, your success is really dependent on you getting that case across and you can't do it without the help of some strong allies internally. And you don't want to be your own silo. Exactly. So I see that happening a lot now where CX teams that are standing up are, they're off doing this. They're creating the surveys. They're doing the net promoter score. They're not working with the organization. They're just reporting it out and pushing the information out and hoping people will do the right thing with it. So they're creating their own silos. So we need to get out of that habit. We need to be integrated in everybody's business, but we need to be invited there and bring rewards for the people we're partnering with, teaching them, learning from them too. Absolutely. Yeah, on that note, what would you say are the, the key skills, like the key three skills that people uh, in the space should be focusing on developing, in your opinion? If I had to go back and talk to my younger self, I would tell myself to go learn more about change management because that's 95% of the job. And I think that leads to the second point of influence. You have to be a chameleon in this role. It depends on who you're talking to and the message and intent and understanding. This is the psychology and sociology of it, but the ability to understand it and influence, which is part of change, I think is a key element. And whatever tools you use to do that, whether it's teaching them a craft, it's talking about the business value story, it's educating them on what it can do for them and giving them the skills. Those are all ways of influence. I think the third piece is what we talked about earlier of you got to build your acumen around all the disciplines in CX. I know in our, in CXPA, the business value and the design sections of the exam, the CCXP exam are really difficult for people because they're so focused on the tactical, some on the culture, obviously, but those two left brain, right brain, um, opposite ends of the spectrum um, are really difficult. Design thinking is not hard to learn. You don't have to be a designer. You just need to understand the tools and techniques and what they can do for the organization. And you need to be able to tell the business case story. You've got to be able to have that. Go to your CFO. That's why I said it's your favorite man or woman in your organization because one, they can help you build the business model and embed it into what they're doing. But two, guess who the CEO listens to? If you can get the CFO on board and have that conversation and help them tell the story, 
then the rest of the C-suite is gonna listen to what's happening. So you've gotta make it real for people and not the soft and fuzzy. Um, metrics, metrics are great. As I say, I'm not tearing down anything, um, but it's just an indicator. Um, it doesn't tell you financially how you're doing. That example I gave you before. Definitely, yeah, I think that's a tremendous, like great framework, very clear for people to, to start planning uh, their learning habits, I think. Yeah, thank you so much, Diane. So yeah, just starting to wrap up, it would be just great to just discuss a bit of how customer experience has changed during COVID times and during the pandemic, and maybe jump into maybe a case study that you think is interesting in terms of new and creative practices that like businesses have been employing to, to adapt to customer behavior, to adapt to competition, and to make yeah. sure that they are still customer-centric, even at times where like we, we all know, companies are suffering financially and everything. So how do you yeah. still put customers first when you know like you're in a pinch as well? Yeah, yeah. I think it, that's a, a little bit of the, I don't think people really realize. So I, I, I remember, and I don't remember who quoted it. Maybe it was Jeff Bezos who said that, maybe it was Dale Carnegie, who said the person who really writes your paycheck is the customer. And I think we forget that. Sometimes brands are so wrapped up in what they're doing that they forget that the real reason that they exist is because those customers are buying their product or service. And part of what we need to be able to do as COVID begins to come out, coronavirus and pandemics are gonna be around. So it's, it's amazing it hasn't happened before, before all this, but it's not gonna go away. There'll be something else that'll come along. I, I think one of the things that we'll also have to, as CX professionals is really begin to help bring this psychology back into the workplace because many people, myself included, have gotten used to the, hey, I can get my groceries delivered, I don't have to go out, or I can do most of my shopping online, it's much easier for me. Those are big examples that most people know about how it's changing our behavior. But the other piece of that is as we save time and effort for customers are going to want different things now. We're going to have more time to explore the arts. We're going to have more time to be reading and doing knowledge. We're going to want to absorb a lot more and connect with people in different ways. So I think we're going to see a shift in the, the pendulum swings. We'll see a shift of the basics are going to be taken care of. How do we now serve different human needs? Even if we're an organization that does Amazon, for example, how do we create a community? How do we look for products or services that are going to fulfill those needs that have dramatically changed? And what can we begin to innovate around expectations of customers? So I guess to your point is, I don't think this is a light bulb moment for anybody, but we need to listen harder to what customers are saying and also be thinking about what they're not saying. Because I don't think even people are retrospection, we're so clouded right now by what we need to do to stay safe with, with COVID that once things come out, what are we going to want to differently from brands? How should they be behaving differently? What did they do during the pandemic? So we have to take a hard look at ourselves in the mirror and say, how did we best serve the needs of humans during that time? And were we agile and did we adjust? And I think that brings me to the last point of your question is this pandemic has taught organizations that they can get done in three months what it took them three years to do before. And so that agility, the innovation and the collaboration that they've identified in doing the work to survive, keep that going, build that in as part of your operations. How did you do it? What worked? What didn't? 
make that a part of the rhythm of your organization. So those are some of the, I think the key lessons learned for me that I would just pass on and heads up to people to be thinking about as we go through the next few months. Amazing. I don't think we can end on such a great note. I think that's a fantastic insight to end. Just make sure to look at the positive things that we learned during uh, adversity, because these are the things that's yes. going to keep us ahead of the game that when things right. go back to normal. Thank you so much, Diane. I really appreciate all the honesty, all the insight that you shared with us today. It was sure. a great lesson for me, as I'm sure it was for all our audience. Thanks. Thanks. My pleasure. Thank you. And please, if anybody wants to reach out and have more conversations, make sure they, they have my email address. I'm happy to share or talk to anybody. I do a lot of mentoring. So if there's something you want to know more about, I'm here for you. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll link uh, your Twitter, your LinkedIn and everything and make sure that people can access and reach out to you. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so Thanks. much for the opportunity to share. Thank you.